0: This morning's passage is from the book of Isaiah, chapter 40, focusing on verses 6 through 8. A voice says, cry, and I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. This morning's sermon is entitled, The Fountain of Comfort that Believers Have in the Unchangeable Word of God as They Live in an Ever-Changing World.
1: He is bringing them a message of comfort and hope as they are to be restored and returned to the land. Now, in the first half of the book, he spent 39 chapters bringing woes and condemnations on the nation of Israel, and the surrounding nations. But as he's starting he this second half, he's having something to say to this people that will be of comfort to them. Now, I think for us to understand really what Isaiah is saying here in chapter 40, we need to consider and think about the Babylonian captivity and i think few events in the history of israel if not all of them was really outstanding for them one of them is the exodus and israelites he never forgot the exodus from egypt he always remember that they were slaves in the land of egypt and the lord their God brought them out of the land of Egypt. And that's why they celebrate the Passover. So even the generation that didn't see the Exodus, as we know from the Pentateuch, that when a son goes to his father and asks him, why are we doing this? Why are we celebrating the Passover? And the father starts telling him that because we were slaves in the land of Egypt, and the Lord our God freed us from slavery. Now, a second, another event, I think, is the exile. I think an Israelite never forgot about the Babylonian captivity. And the exile was supposed to be a horrific picture for Israel. And Even for us. 1520, Martin Luther wrote one of his books, and he wrote it under the title, The Babylonian Captivity of the Church. And that was meant to drive a horrific picture to the state that the church was in at that time. As the church was captivated by the tradition and myth of the Roman Catholic Church, The papacy, the sacrament, and that's why Luther wrote The Babylonian Captivity of the Church. I just sometimes wonder, what would Luther write if he would write another new book as he lives in these days for the Church? Would you call it the liberal captivity of the Church? As the church is captivated to liberal ideologies, ungodly philosophy, the captivity meant to drive a horrific, again, picture for us. And uh, before I start verse six and eight, I want you to listen to this paragraph from Jeremiah 32. Uh, Jeremiah is describing what's going to happen. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I am giving this city into the hands of the Chaldeans and into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and he shall capture it. The Chaldeans who are fighting against his city shall come and set this city on fire and burn it, with the houses on whose roofs offerings have been made to Baal and drink offerings have been poured out to other gods to, to provoke me to anger. For the children of Israel and the children of Judah have done nothing but evil in my sight from their youth. The children of Israel have done nothing but provoke me to anger by the work of their hands, declares the Lord. This city has aroused my anger and wrath from the day it was built to this day, so that I will remove it from my sight, because of all the evil of the children of Israel and the children of Judah that they did to provoke me to anger their kings and their officials, their priests and their prophets, the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. They have turned to me their back and not their face. And though I have taught them persistently, they have not listened to receive instruction. They set up their abominations in the house that is called by my name to defile it. They built the high places of Baal in the valley of the son of Hinnom to offer up their sons and daughters to Molech. Though I did not command them, nor did it enter into my mind that they should do this abomination to cause Judah to sin. And we see the horrible evil that Israel has been committing against the Lord. And the Lord has been taking them into captivity. And his judgment wasn't rough. It was the righteous judgment of the Lord. Now, with this in mind, let's go to Isaiah 40. Start with verse 6. My first point here is the unchangeable cry a voice says cry now this is a different voice than the voice that was in voice in verse 3 the voice in verse verse 3 we know that it was john the baptist and it is the prophetic voice not just john the baptist but it is the voice of the prophets crying out in the wilderness saying that messiah is coming now the voice in verse 6 Is the voice of the Almighty God speaking to Isaiah and commanding him to cry. And you see that in the word cry, we find that it's not whispering, but Isaiah has something to tell. Isaiah has something bold to say and to proclaim, to cry out to the people, to cry the word of the Lord in the world. Cry, as John Calvin said, denoting both boldness and clearness, because prophets ought not to mutter in an obscure manner, but to pronounce their message with a distinct voice and to utter boldly and with open mouth whatever they have been commanded to declare. A voice says, cry. We live in a day and age where everyone has an opinion. Everyone has something to say. Everyone has something to tweet or to post. Especially in the matters of truth and ungodly ideologies have a cry. And something to say in the matters which the church should and must cry. And we are either silenced by the world because we don't want to offend them anymore. Or we face much hostility from the world as we strive to faithfully speak the word of God and the gospel to confused confused lost world. Uh, this is not the commission only to Isaiah to cry, but this is commission to the church too. A voice says, cry. Now Isaiah 58, one, it says again, cry aloud. Don't hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet, declare to my people their transgression to the house of Jacob, their sins. Uh, The prophets was a crying voice to the people of God and to, to the surrounding nations, calling them out for repentance and to come back to God from their idols. Ezekiel the prophet was commanded by the Lord to be a watchman for the house of Israel. That when he sees a disaster coming, he needs to blow the trumpet and warn them. That's the prophetic mission. And they have been commanded by the Lord to do so. And I said, what shall I cry? Now, I think that's a very wise question. That Isaiah didn't assume that, oh, okay, I'm, I'm going to cry. That's a very wise question to ask as those prophets, opposite from the false prophets, weren't meant to just say whatever. They meant to cry something and commanded by God to do so. And that's why Isaiah is asking what shall I cry? What shall I say? The Lord warned Isaiah already about walking in the ways of this people, saying, meaning, Isaiah, you're not going to cry that which the people around you is already saying. You're not going to, okay, hearing him saying something, and you're going to be like, Saying the same thing, repeating them. You're not repeating them. You're saying something different. And the Lord warned Isaiah and Isaiah 8, saying, For the Lord spoke thus to me with his strong hand upon me and warned me not to walk in the way of this people, saying, Don't call conspiracy all that this people call conspiracy. And don't fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor. As holy, let him be your fear, and let him be your dread. And when they say to you, inquire of the mediums who shreb and mutter, who should, should not a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living, to the teaching, and to the testimony, if they will not speak according to this word? It is because they have no done. In other words, the Lord is saying, this people inquire of the mediums, inquire of the magicians, inquire to know from the dead what the living should do. And they have no done if they're not going to, to the law and to the testimony, to the teaching and to the testimony. And you, Isaiah, you are supposed to inquire of the Lord. Do you remember that first Peter, as Eric preached last time, and he was preaching this passage where it says that the prophets inquired carefully. I think that's part of them inquiring carefully, asking questions, knowing what to say, knowing what to do, and not doing things carelessly, and just without thought. Listen to what Calvin said here. The prophet knew indeed what he ought to say. But by this question, he intended to make a stronger impression on their minds in order to show that he and all the other servants of God are constrained by necessity to utter this sentiment and that they cannot begin to teach in any other manner. Though they should put a hundred questions and inquiries, as indeed they they will gain nothing by choosing to adopt any other method. Now the second half of the verse is my second point, the unchangeable reality, the condition of not just Israel and not just the surrounding nations, but the whole world. All flesh is grass that's what Isaiah's ought to cry out all flesh is grass and all its beauty is like the flower of the field now it's very interesting that he used the metaphor a picture of grass and flower because they are not forever they doesn't stay forever you know that by experience. You know that when you grow flower, when you buy flour, they doesn't stay forever. You have to keep buying them. You have to keep planting them again. And they weather and they fade and you take them out. And he painted a picture of the world and the people because later on he will say, surely the people are grass. So he, Isaiah, by the command of the Lord, telling him, cry out this cry, painted the picture that the world is going to fade away. The world is not going to stay forever. And we see this over and over again across of the scriptures. We see in Psalm 103 that David says, Ask for man... His days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. Brothers and sisters, this is the world that we live in. This is the condition of the world that the Word of God is picturing. It's grass. It is flower that will fade away. And guess what? Even us, we are grass and we are flower that will fade away. He's not teaching any kind of, oh, death will be just ceasing to exist. He's not saying that, but he's showing the frailty of the condition of humanity. This is the condition of humanity after the fall under the curse, death will come to everybody. Nobody will stay forever. And we see later on how this differ for a believer. That though a believer will die physically, but in another sense, he will never die. So you're dying, but he will never die again. This is as we remember again Romans 8. Remember in Romans 8, in the middle of Romans 8, how Paul is drawing a picture for the world that the world is decaying. The world is subjected to futility. Groaning. All the world is groaning. And not just, he didn't accept or exempted believers, but he said even us have the first fruits of the spirit. We are growing, groaning as well. The Lord, the world is groaning around us. The world is decaying. The world is vanishing away. No matter how much life you may think you will have, and no matter, matter how much beauty you may think you have, you have. No matter how much gift you have, you ma- no matter how much human wisdom, strength, riches, all will pass away. And will be no more. Again, listen to what Calvin said. The prophet seemed as if in mockery to add a sort of correction. For a flower is something more than grass. It is therefore an acknowledgement that although men have some shiny qualities, Like flowers in the field, yet the beauty and luster quickly vanish and pass away so that it is useless for them to flatter or applaud themselves on account of this idle and deceitful splendor. End of quote. I need to say that this is the comfort, part of the comfort That God is sending Isaiah to declare. Declare to the people that even the grass withers, the flower fades. Declare to the people that even them, they will be no more. They will not stay forever. And this ought to bring much comfort to believers. And will help them not to love the world or the things of the world, as the Apostle John said. So when, when the Apostle John, for John, was drawing a picture, telling the believers, commanding them by the Lord not to love the world nor the things of the world, what did he follow that by saying? Why shouldn't they love the world or the things of the world? I mean, the world invented some of the, it would say, wicked slogans. YOLO. You only live once. And since you only live once, that means just do whatever you want to do because you're not going to live again. But what John is saying is, it is true that you only live once. If you're a believer, live every moment for the glory of God. You only physically live once, I should say. But as a believer... You will live forever. And John was saying, and the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. He will die physically. He will he will die for a moment. He will die for a, for for some time. But he will never be no more. He will live forever, eternity, forever. And that's why he's saying. Don't love the world, nor the things of the world. If you are a believer, how foolish it is to love the world when you know that the grass weathers, the flowers fades. And I dare also to say that this truth has to scare the daylight out of the unbeliever. If you are an unbeliever this morning, I am pleading with you, the grass withers, the flower fades. You think that now we are still young. You think that now you have the strength, you have the physical power, you have the human intelligence, and you can be whatever you want to be. You think about the future and the years to come but I'm pleading with you this morning. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. You don't know when will your flower fade away. Give Christ the flower of your years and the strength of your youth before the breath of the Lord blows on you, and you will be gone to eternal damnation. Brother than sister. These things a lot of times we take for granted. We don't think much about eternity. And we don't think much about the condition that the world is in and we are in. How comforting it is to tell yourself every now and then all flesh is grass. And all its beauty is like the flower of the field. And one day. The grass. Weather. The flower will fade. And as you see and as you grow up. You experience that. Day after day that. When you think back in the days. About the things that you were able to do. And now you can't. That this is true. First, because it's the word of God. Second, because it is reality. You experience it in your life every single day. Now, verse 7. Surely the people are grass. He's again making the point clear to Israel and to us and whole humanity is nothing but grass. In the light of this truth, think about all those who persecuted and harassed God's people across the times in the history. Where are they? Where is Herod and Pontius Pilate? Where's Bloody Mary, Queen of England? Where's Voltaire and Marx? Where's Darwin and Christopher Hitchens? Where are all the tyrants and dictators that persecuted God's people? And the answer is they are all gone. They are no more. To harass God's people And though they left their ideologies and ideas behind to still harass God's people through other people, ye brothers and sisters. Eternity. And as you read some parts of the Book of Revelation that speak of heaven and the praise in heaven. Should excite you that no more Marxism, no more cries from Black Lives Matter, wicked ideologies, and heaven and eternity will have one focus worthy as the lamb who has slain. It's not because heaven is full of white people. And it's not because Christianity is the white man's religion. Religion. These are foolish things to say. But because heaven is. The Lord Jesus Christ is the center of heaven. And in heaven, every tongue and people and color and nation. And we will all sing to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And all these wicked and God-hating ideologies will vanish away. Since the people that invented it vanish away, these things will vanish away. And on that day, Christ and Christ alone will be magnified in heaven and on Earth, as we look forward to this, we'll live because of this hope and the Lord Jesus will come to judge the wicked, and he's not going to win them by love, as we heard from the video of the American Gospel. That, that will never happen. He will crush them. He will crush them. His enemies under his foot. That should be our hope. That's our comfort. Well my third point is, starting with verse eight, the unchangeable word of God. Again, Isaiah said, the grass withers. You see, you feel like he's repeating himself, but he ought to say something that is not just mere repetition. The flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. John Calvin said again, this repetition is again added for the purpose of bringing to naught the glory of the flesh but at the same time contains within itself a highly valuable consolation. The God, when he has cast down his people, immediately raises up and restores them. The context, therefore, runs thus. The grass indeed withers and perishes, but the word of the Lord endureth forever. After having learned how empty and destitute we are of all blessings, how transitory and fading is the glory of the flesh. The only consolation left for us that we may be raised up by the word of the Lord. As by an outstretched hand is that we are frail and fading, but the word of the Lord is durable and eternal. And in a word that the life which we need is offered to us from another quarter. This is what Isaiah is saying. You see how the grass weathers? You see how the flower fades? That's not the reality with the word of God. You see how all humanity is outdated and, and, and grow old and vanish away? Now, when you come to the word of God, that's not the reality. It's, it's not changing. It's not progressive. Progressive Christianity, there's no such a thing. But their Christianity, talking about the people from that movie, their Christianity is progressive because the truth is progressive. God is changing. And the Christianity of the apostles and the prophets does not work right now. So let's make up modern-day Christianity. But there's no such a true Christianity as progressive. Or Christianity... Is settled because the word of our God stands forever. There's, there's no changes. What God said is sin is sin. Even if everybody doesn't like it. And what God said, it is righteousness. It is righteousness. Even if everybody hates it. The word of our God will stand forever. The word of our God stands forever, and it is unlike of the grass and the flower. Its beauty is true beauty that never fades away. And its truth, that which never withers, but stands forever. It is unchanging. Listen to John Gill saying, Though all flesh is grass, fading and weathering, the word of God is fresh and lively. Firm and durable. The word of God is the word of God. It cannot change. And it will not change. Now why would the word of God stand forever? These punch of old writings? Because God stands forever. Because God is unchangeable. His word is unchangeable. And because God is eternal, his word is eternal. Listen to Psalm 119:89. Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. In other translation it is settled in the heavens. For how long? Forever. This is the word of God. It is eternal. The word of God is inspired it is God's own breathing. And this time, this is the breath of the Lord that freshes and gives life. Contrary to verse 7, when the breath of the Lord blows on it, the grass will wither. But when this breath of the Lord blows on you, you will live forever. The Word of God is sufficient. We need no other vision. We need no other new revelation. We need no other mystical interpretation. But we need the word of God. The word of God is inerrant. It has no errors whatsoever. Now I have some Passages from Spurgeon to read for you as he was commenting in this, these couple of verses. One, everything of the creature dying, everything of the creator living, everything of man weathering, everything of God blooming in eternal youth, What should this say to us? Why should say to us first weave not a chaplet of flowers that shall surely fade for your brow? Meaning don't just keep working for things that you know that it's not going to be eternal. Don't hold on to it. Do you seek fame? Let it be the fame that comes from God. Do you seek wealth? Let it be the wealth that will be current in the skies. You seek love. Let it be a love which will exist where they marry not, neither are given in marriage, but are the, as the angels of God. You are an immortal. Trade for immortality. You shall never die, Christian. There is a new life within you. You shall exist forever. Equal with the life of God shall be your life. Oh, then, be not gathering trifles, things that melt. Let not your life be as a messer's dream, who dreams. He gathers gold and wakes, and it is gone. Be not like that foolish Roman emperor who took his troops to Britain, landed them in full state, bade every man gather a handful of shells, and then go back to Rome with great triumph. He had taken Britain, he said. Here were the shells from the shore. Oh, never say, I have conquered life, here is the money. I can say, I have lived grandly, here is honor. Oh, these things are but the broken shells upon the shore. Seek jewels and pearls that shall be jewels and pearls before God that shall be looked upon by him as being precious because they last and continue in eternity. Dear here, seek your soul's wealth. Seek to have your sins forgiven. Seek to wrap your soul in the righteousness of Christ, the garment which the moth cannot fret. Seek to be one with Jesus. There is nothing beneath the stars worth having if you have not these things. Trust in him. All else shall be like a bubble on a wave and melt and fly before you. If you have not confidence in Jesus, since all of earth shall melt and fade away, build not your house with these shadows, but with substantial Timbers and hewn stones that shall stand through the lapse of ages and last into eternity. If you are one, if you are on God's side, never be afraid of the mightiest opponent. What are they? What are they? Grass. Where is the mower? Then he comes. There is an end of them. And what are their boasts? And what are their railings? The flower of grass. Here comes a breath, The sharp breath of winter. And they are gone. Who am I that I should begin to agitate myself about the safety of the empire of France and should go to Napoleon and should tell him That I was afraid the empire was insecure and it was come to help him manage the government. I think I should be sent back about my business. And so, surely, when we begin to say the church is in danger, the church is in danger, what is that to you? It stood before you were born, it will stand when you have become worm's meat. Do your duty. Keep in the path of obedience and fear not. He who made the church knew through what trials she would have to pass. And he made her so that she can endure the trials and become the richer for it. The enemy is but grass. The word of the Lord endures forever. Now I just have a couple of applications to that which we heard about Isaiah, I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians 4. As we see how this truth, even for the Apostle Paul, changed the way that he lived life and saw life, Chapter 3 of Second Corinthians, first of all, speaks about the glory of the new covenant ministry. And then in chapter 4, he starts by saying, Therefore, having this ministry of the new covenant, by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounce disgraceful, underhanded ways, we refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience and the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servant for Jesus' sake. That's our cry. That's our cry. We don't cry out ourselves, but Jesus Christ. And us, we are just voice to cry out this message of Christ. For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And then here realize the condition. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. So we are jars of clay. But the jaws of clay has treasure. We are not the treasure and we have jaws of clay. No, we are the jars of clay that has treasure. Jars of clay is so easy to be broken. And that's why he said to show that if there's any power, that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. And then he speaks about a couple of paradoxes. that death is reality. And not just we know that death is reality. The death of Jesus and the resurrection of of Jesus now makes it all the difference in our lives. As we live, we know that as Christ died and rose again, we are going to live forever with him, though we are going to die temporarily. Verse 12, so death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believe, and so I I spoke. We also believe, and we also speak. Knowing that he raised the Lord Jesus, will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. Why would we sing something as we sang the hymn by Martin Luther that the goods and kinder go, this mortal life will sow, the body they can kill because the grass withers, the flower fades, and we know that they can kill the body, but they cannot kill the soul. And I believe The apostle here with the reality that he knows that he's a jar of clay. But he knows that there's a treasure inside that doesn't belong to him. Meaning he's not the one who made up this treasure. But it is God's working in him as he is jars of clay. But then he said... In verse 16, so we don't lose heart. Why? Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. This is the reality that the believer is living right now. Though your outer self is decaying, wasting away, growing old. Your inner self is being renewed day by day. And even this view of this truth affects how he looks at affliction. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Light, momentary, affliction. But it is preparing for us weighty. Glory, beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Are you looking unto the things that's unseen? Are you holding and spending your time and wasting your energy on the things that are seen, that's going to vanish and fade away? How do you go through suffering and affliction? If you don't know that all grass will weather and the flower will fade away, and if you're not having the word of God as your foundation to stand on, how do you go through some of the horrific affliction that you can go through? If you're not reminding yourself, this affliction is light and momentary. But the weight of glory will be beyond all comparison to this affliction. And I want to jump to First uh, Peter. Because Peter is quoting Isaiah 40, quoting these very same verses that we went through. 1 Peter 1, let's go to verse 23. Now remember that Peter is writing to pilgrims, exiles, people, and he's writing to them, telling them how to live in this world as afflicted, exiles, pilgrims. But he's telling them of the reality that they have been born again. Verse 23, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. That's the word of God that will stand forever. And then it's as if Peter's crying again that same voice. Remember the prophets and the apostles, he doesn't have... Their ministry were, were different in a way, but at the same time, it's a continuation of a one ministry about one God, one gospel. He said, for all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass weathers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you, This word is the good news that caused you to be born again with the living and abiding word of God. But then jump to chapter 3. How does this truth change the life you live? Now he's specifically talking to wives, women, and he says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. So then even if some do not obey the word, that may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct. And then verse 3. Do not let your adorning be external. The braiding of hair and the putting on of gold, jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. In other words, he's saying, since the... All flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. How much time you spend in adorning your external self will vanish away, it will perish. But that which is, which in God's sight is very precious. is the one that will last forever. And then in chapter 4 of First Peter, 4 verse 8, he said, verse, verse 7, The end of all things is at hand. They lived the reality that the Lord is coming, even back then. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Another way, wake up to your prayers. Why? Because all things, the end of all things, is at hand. The end of all things is coming to an end. And I think we are in 2020, we can testify that the end is at hand. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received the gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ to whom to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever amen now in the light of this truth Paul and Peter, as example, they living their life and they are writing for us to live our life differently. Live our, live our lives as a church life differently. That's what he was just talking about in chapter 4. You live your life differently with your family since you know that all grass will weather. The flower will fade. You live your life individually differently. And you trust the Word of God. And you trust the God of the Word. Brothers and sisters, we have in the Word of God a mine of gold. Do we trust it? Do we love it? Are we on the Word of God daily? And much more as a church, how does this message of Isaiah can change us as we know that the grass weathers and the flower fades. But the word of our God will stand forever. How ought we to live? How then shall we live on the light of this truth? And it's probably fitting for us as we close to remember and sing in our hearts the word of the hymn where it says, How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say than to you he hath said? There's nothing more. To you who for refuge to Jesus have fled. Brothers and sisters, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word because in it is everything that we need for life and godliness. And Father, I ask that you would Take these feeble, weak words and that you would do your work. That your Lord would work through your mighty word a great work of salvation and a great work of opening our eyes so that we would live differently because we know that the end is at hand. We know that everything will fade away, but those who does the will of the Lord and stand on the word of God, they will stay with you in eternity forevermore. We thank you and we praise you, Lord. And Lord, we ask that you would help us as church to love one another, to serve one another, and Lord, that overall to magnify Christ in everything that we do and we say. In Christ's name, we pray all these things.
0: Amen. This morning's passage is from the book of Isaiah, chapter 40, focusing on verses 6 through 8. A voice says, cry, and I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass? The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. This morning's sermon is entitled, The Fountain of Comfort That Believers Have in the Unchangeable Word of God As They Live in an Ever-Changing World.